Hello and welcome to our weekly podcast from Faith Point Church, Auckland, New Zealand. We hope you will encounter God afresh in this week's teaching segment. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to hear more, then you can visit us at www.faithpoint.org.nz. And now for today's message. Morning, if you've got your Bible, um, you'd like to uh, look at uh, Ezekiel, pull up Ezekiel 36. And while we're doing that, um, you know, God is in the restoration business. Um, he's in the renewal business. He's, he's not fixing houses. He's not fixing cars. He's fixing you and me. He's fixing a broken world. So God is obviously in the renewal business. You know, you turn TV on these days and you, you see all these makeover programs, you know, from America, from New Zealand, you know, the block and things like that. Yeah, that's interesting, but it's not really going to change the world too much. The fact is, our God is restoring things. Broken humanity to himself. Who likes to see miracles take place? Around about 30% of you. Um, well, I really want to see incredible miracles take place. You know, um, Being born again is a miracle. You know, that's, that's an incredible miracle. But Ezekiel, right the way back, two and a half thousand years ago, as a prophet, he saw amazing things. But one of the things he saw in Ezekiel 36, in verse 24 to 28, is this. He saw two key things taking place. He saw the nation of Israel that was ejected out of its uh, land being restored to itself. And for that to take place, that would have meant that God would have had to move in a sovereign way, in a miraculous way. And he also saw this other thing where hard hearts were supernaturally changed into soft hearts. Two amazing things. So I'll read this to you. Ezekiel 36, 24 says, For I will take you from the nations, and I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back to your own land. I will sprinkle you with clean water, and you will be clean again. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from your idols. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit within you. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees. And you will be careful to follow my laws. You know, that's a pretty encapsulated verse. I will now read the Amplified Richardson version for you. It says, I'm going to take you from the world. And this is talking to the church, you know, because this was obviously targeting the Jewish people. But we're talking about foundational stuff for the church, and God is doing some stuff here. So this is the promise of God. He says, there's actually seven promises here. He says, I'm going to take you from the world, and I will, wait, there's more, I will gather you from the nations, from all countries, and bring you back to your own land. Wait, there's more. I'm going to sprinkle you with clean water, and you're going to be clean. Wow, that's amazing. But wait, there's more. And I'm going to cleanse you from not some impurities, but all your impurities and from your idols. But wait, there's more. I'm going to give you a new heart, and I'm going to put a new spirit within you. But wait, there's more. I'm going to give you hearts that were once stone turned into hearts of flesh. A heavenly heart transplant will take place. And I will put my spirit in you, and you will follow my decrees. You know, God's going to give us his Holy Spirit within us so we can follow him. 
2,000 years ago, 2,500 years ago, Ezekiel saw this transformation taking place. Well, just on 100 years ago, 1917, there was a thing called the Balfour Declaration. Um, some of us old folks will know what that means, but what happened, Israel was dispersed through the nations of the world. But the Balfour Declaration, Lord Balfour um, was working and they were trying to reconcile um, Israel and Palestine and things like that. And Israel was restored um, to the land. There was a, like an entry point where they could come back to the nation. And at that time, in 1917, there were around about 25,000 Israelites, or Hebrews, or Jews, living within the nation of Israel. It wasn't actually a nation, it was just really their, their old homeland. Well, jump forward 30 years later to 1945, just after the, um, the, the World War II came to an end, half a million people were now living within the heart of Israel. Something had taken place through the nations of the world, and these people were starting to flow back to the heartland of Israel. Well, 2017, 100 years later, there's around about 8.4 million Jewish people residing within Israel. In 1948, and actually May 14th, uh, the United Nations signed off the fact that Israel was now legally a nation once again. Sovereign state, own bit of land. Ezekiel saw it all those years ago. That's a miracle. More than a signs and wonder. No nation in the history of Israel, if it's been dispersed through the nations of the world, has ever had the chance to come back to its own true land, to its own heritage, to its own rightful place in the world. The interesting thing is, this has actually happened three times for the nation of Israel. The first time took place essentially with uh, Moses. You know, they were exiled into, well, they weren't exiled. They were actually in um, Egypt because of famine and they were ended up exiled there. Then 400 years later, they came back to their own nation. That was the first time. And then 600 BC, because of uh, what they were doing or not doing, God exiled them into the nation of Babylon, Iraq, Iran. They were in that location. AD 70, the third time, these people were kicked out. They were disposed from the land. But 2,000 years later, it's all ancient history now, we see this nation being restored. We talk about foundations in a church. We see uh, closure happening in the world as far as um, the church, um, the, the, the climax of what's taking place. Jesus is coming again. So many things are starting to take place around us, the speeding up of what's going on. You just have to look at the weather, the earthquakes, all those things. There's things going on in the natural. There's a stirring up going on. Well, the first prime minister of Israel was a guy called David um, um, Ben-Gerin. And he says this, Suffering makes my people greater. We all have to have suffering, and we have suffered much. We have had a message to give to the world, but we were overwhelmed by this message, and it was cut off right in the middle. And there became a stronger, stronger urge within us to complete this message. So he was the first prime minister of Israel, and he was essentially saying, hey, there's something going to take place, 
within our nation. Uh, we were mandated to do something, but we were cut off. The message which we had was severed. But, hey, God's doing something. We're going to be restored back to this place to provide the rightful message. Well, where are we going with this? Israel had actually been through so much. They hadn't prepared to go through the mincer the way they had. They were obviously close to God. They were close to his heart. But God was preparing his people for purpose. The question is, and I understand that many people here in the church and many people who are listening to these podcasts have gone through a season of trauma. You've been savaged by the enemy. Things have happened which you haven't planned for, but it's like the enemy has come in. Um, it's affected your work situation. Some people have been laid off. Some people have had uh, salary reductions, things like that. Some people have had problems in your family. Uh, there's with problems with children, uh, divorce. Um, there's been sickness. Uh, there's been death. No one plans for those things, but it happens. There's been problems with finances. Things which make our life go a bit septic. The thing is, God uses those situations for a reason. 2,000 years of exile, God was doing something in the heart of his people. So why does God put us in the, the mixer where all these things take place? If we give our hearts to the Lord, if we give our lives to the Lord, I think that something's taking place. So, um, you know, Shane gives his heart to the Lord. You know, fantastic. So God's going to reach down and he's not going to give um, him a couple of spiritual beta blockers and things like that to fix his life up. He's going to get hold of this heart and he's going to make it really messy. He's going he's to interfere with it, you know, not just give it, you know, a warm fuzzy. He's going to engage and mess and continue to, to do supernatural surgery within the heart. That's why we go through problems. We go through the school of hard knocks. This is what it says in Hosea 11 verse 12 he says plow up the hard ground of your hearts for now is the time to seek the Lord that he may come and shower righteousness upon you our hearts get plowed up by the spirit of God these hearts are carnal they're not soft but there's a heart transplant taking place within each of us there's, and it's not like an instant thing Abracadabra, we don't say that in church. We, there's, there's, not, there's, 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 there's not like an instant sort of, uh, you're right. You know, there's a process that goes on. It happens that way. Um, my family have been involved with farming for years, you know, like early pioneers in the country. We came into the country in 1840, and there's been farms and all sorts of things. But when you come into a pioneering situation, you've got to start to clear the land. You've got to chop the trees down. Now, some of those trees are good. Some of them are used just for firewood. But then there's all these stumps in the ground because you want, want to create um, ground that you can actually use. And so you've got all these stumps in the ground and then you've got to get rid of the stumps. I was speaking to James last week and uh, he said their old family farm down in Martin it was a big house but they had this room and he used to love playing in this particular room and he gets in there and all these things were in this room. It's like a museum. And he's playing around with these things and it was like this small black object, or there's several of them. It wasn't until later that his dad realised, told him that they were actually um, things for blowing up stumps of these trees. You know, it's like, you know, not, not uh, dynamite, it was like little, little, little grenades. 
And he said in another box there was this liquid, and that was gelignite. You know, uh, it's like, and it, like uh, go and play in the spare room or something, son. And bang. You know, maybe that's why he's got white hair. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but thing is, these stumps have to be cleared off. And then you start to plough the ground. You've got to plough the ground. Now, when you start off, there's roots and there's rubble and there's rocks and all sorts of things. And it's not like, hey, presto, it's done. You know, the farmer's got to get out behind a horse or an oxen or behind a couple of family members and they drag this, you know, this is, this is actually another one. Um, but they, it takes time, up and down, up and down. Our life is a series of up and down where God is moving, moving, moving. And all of a sudden, whoops, there's resistance. There's a rock that needs to be extracted from the ground. And a lot of the old farms, you'll see these rock walls around the paddocks these days. Those rocks were actually not wasted. They were actually made into fences. And then they keep on going, keep on going. And then what would happen year after year, they would actually get... Um, bigger discs, the size of the discs would actually get deeper and deeper and deeper. So it's not shallow stuff, it's starting to go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And that's just like us as a church, as an individual. The Holy Spirit's working on us. We're doing life on a day-to-day -day basis, more and more. But all of a sudden, you know, the, you know, the, the discs are getting deeper, and all of a sudden, there's another resistance. And God's doing something deeper. He's taking these hard-grounded hearts, turning them into softer, softer, more compliable things for himself to use. Not easy, you know, but it's a necessity in life to actually get that done. Who are old farming people? Who's done ploughing here? Anyone? Just a few of us old, old fogies. But... Uh, that was a reality. You do it in Asia. People do it for rice, rice uh, patties and all that. They've got to get out and do that. The disc, the disc size will change. But also you t have this term called harrowing. Harrowing is basically where the ground has been cleared. It's all flat. But the animals have gone and done their deeds. Little piles of stuff are dumped everywhere. And so what the farmer does, and it's called harrowing, they get this, uh, uh, like a, a grid, it's not, it's not like the, the discs there, it's like a, a, just a, a grid, and they go across the paddock, and all of a sudden, all the harrowing's taking place, all the cow poo, and sheep poo, and all that sort of poo, is getting spread around, the manure is getting spread around. Many of us in the church have gone through harrowing experiences. We, we don't plan to put ourselves into those situations, but God in his sovereignty somehow puts us in it. We call it the school of hard knocks. Did Job plan to lose his whole family, his house, get real sick, all his family, all his friends disappear on him? Of course not. But God sitting on the throne in heaven knew exactly what was going on. He knew it would be okay. And his word to you today, hey, it's going to be okay. It really is going to be okay. I haven't got off my throne. No, no one else has jumped into it. I've still got control. I'm still sovereign. I'm still going to move. I've got it controlled. Your work situation, your family, your finances, wherever you're at, I've got it in the palm of my hands. I'm looking after you. Well, in New Zealand, just over 59 years ago, 1958, there was a guy called Sir Baron... Brian Barrett Boys, he's a cardiologist. He was based at Green Lane. And he started to do the first open heart transplants. Uh, oldies will probably recognise the name. It was pioneering surgery. 
They'd never really done this before, so they opened up the heart and they started to do a little bit of tinkering. And as time went on, they started to do heart bypasses where they actually physically stopped the heart and they'd have a mechanical machine on the side sort of processing and pushing the blood around so that the surgeons can actually go deeper and do more cardiac surgery. So they started to do heart transplants and uh, things like that later on. Well, my background before I was pastoring was actually selling medical products. And we did everything from crepe bandages and syringes and all that sort of stuff and all the stuff that the hospitals would use with combined tenders. We, we did all the complex medical equipment, all the sonography, all, 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 that, all that sort of stuff. But my passion was towards all the cardiac um, instrumentation. And we had a variety of things. When I first started sales as a young guy at about 19, I was selling um, things which they'd put up your femoral artery into the heart um, to try and just lodge uh, blockages. Uh, angioplasties is what, what it's called. And, and guide wires would go up. And I'm selling all these sort of bits and pieces. But that started this um, journey. And all of a sudden, I was selling heart valves. These weren't synthetic ones as they do today. Generally, these were made out of pigs or out of uh, bovine or out of beef um, tissue, and they were put into people's hearts because their heart valves weren't working properly. There was surgery taking place. Um, we started doing ECGs and central monitors. These are the things which measure the heart rates, and you see them on TV. Um, we were um, selling pacemakers. These are the things which you put in people and they've got either one or two leads and they're targeting parts of the heart. So if it, if it wasn't doing what it should be doing, all of a sudden there was an electrical spike and all of a sudden it would get stimulated into doing what it should be doing. And there's a variety of pacemakers which we won't go on to talk to you today about. Some of these pacemakers actually had um, batteries in which were more powerful and, and they were designed as defibrillators. You know, so you didn't have the external defibrillator, it was actually all built within the body. They were ready for messed up hearts. And then one of the more interesting products we had was a defibrillator. Um, you've probably seen them on the TV. You know, you probably wouldn't watch Shortland Street. I hope you wouldn't watch Shortland Street. But, you know, if something was to go wrong with someone, um, they would say, stand clear, stand clear. You know, oh, turn up the voltage. You know, they turn it up and they rub the pedals. Stand clear. You know, and then all of a sudden, okay, someone's got to give mouth to mouth to this person or whatever. But the thing is, defibrillators were designed to um, give us a, a stimulation that would actually bring the heart back to life again and get it to, to beat again. Some of the, ch the cheap ones were having small batteries. They weren't that powerful. They worked, but didn't work really well. The more sophisticated you got, the batteries got bigger and more powerful and the recovery time took place so that if we were to come and do a defibrillation to Chris, you wouldn't want to wait for 20 minutes while the battery recharged to actually do a secondary. You wouldn't want to do that. You want it to be recovering within 10 or 15 seconds. And so we were selling all these you know, really interesting things. Um, I should have actually brought a few of them for uh, I should have kept a few of them for uh, demos for preaching later on. But the thing is, we've got a defibrillator. The Bible is the world's, the world's best defibrillator. Not designed by man, but designed by God. And one thing I realise, and James has alluded to it, I think in the pre-meeting a couple of weeks ago we had it on Wednesday night, that the Bible is like a defibrillator. And, and I realise that God is bringing back the defibrillator into the church. Some of the church is on a life support system. Not this church, but globally the church is on a life support system. And the ones that are growing is where the word of God has been elevated to its true position. We've got a, a watered down, anemic 
compromised Bible. Somehow the enemy's got in and it's actually hath God said. And all the, the value of the Bible has been diluted. But God's saying, no, 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 no. My word is coming back. And we're starting to see the potency, the power, the pungency of the word of God prevail like never before. And God is bringing his word back into the church. You know, God forbid that we have a watered down, compromised, anemic Bible. We've got to come back to what it says. Heaven and earth will pass away. The word of God never will. You know, we've got to get it back to, to, the, to the heart of the matter. God is restoring things. He's restoring the word to the church. Hopefully he's restoring the word to you. So we talked about, Terry talked about in communion. Read the word of God. You know, it's part of our lifestyle. We clean our teeth, we wash our faces, we do all that sort of ablution stuff. But we need to do the word of God as well in our life. Not just for cleaning, but for sustenance. The word of God is better than eating toast and marmalade for breakfast. You know, it does something more for us, long lasting. Well, the thing is, we're always going to go through issues in life. We call it the school of hard knocks. None of us planned to do it. Um, Chris and I went to Bible college. We did three years at Bible college, Tinekau down in Wellington. And that was good for our brains. It wasn't good for our butts because we're sitting down quite a bit. But the thing is, we learned a lot at Bible college. But we're going to learn more through the school of hard knocks in life than any Bible college or any academic learning environment will, you know, you'll be placed in. We don't plan for it, but God will position us that way. Um, if we're going to give our heart to the Lord, he's going to take us, take that, not just our life, but our heart. He's going to take it out and he's going to do things with it and he's going to put it back in. Have a look. Oh, a bit more work needs to go on. You know, pull it out. There's going to be a process. It's like the farrowing of the ground. It takes time. It's not done instantly. It's not like here's a supernatural beta blocker, you know, or take a Panadol, you know, the problem will get better. It's nothing like that. It's a work in progress. In my own life, one of the most harrowing, dramatic times was when I was younger. Um, I, I mentioned uh, recently when I was preaching how at a young age I was positioned in a medical company, the largest medical company here in New Zealand, and I became sales supervisor, national sales manager, and I got up, up into senior management at a very young age. And the company went from success to success. Uh, we had lots of tenders being won, and um, the company was raking in millions and millions of dollars. We were listed on the stock market, uh, and people were wanting to buy the company. And we had lots of very successful agencies. And in the situation, we turn up and we do work on a day-to-day -day basis. But what had actually happened, the chairman of the board of companies who owned us, he had a friend, a pillow partner. Um, and this person was out of work for many years, could never get a job. And so he, he phoned up uh, our general manager and said, I want him in your company. Put him in a role in management. And so he was put in between the general manager's position and my position. And he hadn't had experience at all in the medical arena. Um, he was very arrogant, very proud, proud and um, Conceit was, should have been his middle name, I think, but we had to do a, a tender for the national hospital supplies every year, and it was a multi, multi-million dollar document, and it was probably twice as thick as my Bible. And we'd go down to Wellington and we'd present it on an annual basis, and this was all the tubing and all the crepes and syringes and all the bits and pieces you'd see in hospitals, all the surgical gloves, all that sort of stuff. And um, 
Lloyd, this guy, said, Phil, you don't do the presentation this year, I will. Keep your mouth shut. This is what he did. Keep it shut. Throw the key away. Okay, so we went in and we did the presentation. It was a big boardroom, big uh, polished table, and all these guys were there. We went in and, and Lloyd opened his mouth, and all this rubbish started to come out. And you can see the people around the boardroom looking at each other, and they were looking at me because I knew them pretty well, and they were all starting to shake their heads and thinking, What's this guy on about? And so we left the boardroom, went out and pushed the button for the lift to go down to the car park. And we turned around in the lift and we were there and he looked at me and I looked at him and he said, hey, that didn't go very well, did it? And I looked at him and I said, nah, could have been a lot better. And he said, there's two people in our company that know that went on in that room, what really went on, you and me. And he said, I can guarantee by the end of the week you won't be in our company anymore. I'm going to have you sacked. Because I don't want anyone to know what's actually happened in that room. And I thought, oh yeah, bit of a joke. And we came back to Auckland and we had a big staff meeting. Every week we had a big staff meeting. All the customer service, all the sales rep, all the marketing people were there. And I got this note. Oh, Phil, go and see the general manager um, straight after the meeting. And so I did. And Terry, the general manager, said, Phil, I've got this really weird super weird instruction from the, the chairman of the board to tell you to go home and never return to our company again. Ask for your car keys. Um, he doesn't even know who you are. You know, it, it, it's just like crazy. But then Terry said, I can't put you in a taxi to go home. I'm going to take you home myself. And I got home and Chris was pregnant with a baby and we started to explain what had actually happened. And it was beyond our comprehension. But God was doing something in our heart that I'd never prepared for. I was thrust into management at an early age, great responsibility, incredible income, incredible success, but all of a sudden God said, need to get into this heart of yours. And so, long story short, um, this guy Lloyd um, ended up dying six weeks later. God was judging the situation. I won't go into the full details there, but Chris and I had to leave New Zealand to go to Australia. I had these distributors from international companies saying that our sales in New Zealand were the best globally. Can I go to Australia to look after the Australian um, um, situation along with, alongside another guy? And so we did. We went to Australia and we got there and we realised things weren't as good as they should have been. But each day God was teaching us to live by faith. Uh, I won't go into the the whole story for sake of time this morning, I wish I could. It would probably take half an hour to explain the situation. But all the promises which we had to go to the company in Australia started to change, literally overnight. Every year, Chris and I were promised one or two trips around the world to sales conferences um, in the United Kingdom um, or America. That was changed. Oh, this will happen every three years now. Um, we were promised that um, I'd be away one week in four, I was actually away three weeks and four. Uh, I'd be promised to be paid on a regular basis. Thousands of thousands of dollars got um, into credit because I was having to carry the people with international accountants holding our salaries and our expenses. And so, very, very tough time. Never would have planned for it, never would have positioned for it. But tell you what, the Pharaoh, the discs of God was going into our heart deeper and deeper and deeper. 
we ended up coming back to New Zealand and the general manager I had before said, Phil, there's a couple of jobs and straight away, what was taken from us was restored in literally a matter of months. Um, beyond explanation, um, one company I worked for as a consultant, um, I was making more uh, by working three and a half hours a week for the company than the general manager actually worked for doing 50 hour weeks uh, because I was so good at the sales of selling instrumentation. You'd appreciate the name Welsh Allen. Um, I, was, I was working part of their international operation. And, but deep down within me, God was preparing me for the day. He taught me a lot through marketing and business and people contact and all that. But the neat thing about God taking me from New Zealand to Australia, he took me from essentially a monocultural environment you know, we had the, the Maori and the New Zealand, it was probably bicultural, but it essentially was a monocultural environment. And we're placed into the heart of Sydney with Greeks, Italians, Slavs, um, all this ethnicity of the world was within Australia, all the Vietnamese, all those Arabic people there. And all of a sudden, God was softening our heart for the nations of the world. Because up until then, my heart was colder than a slab of steel, you know. I didn't care about the nations, but God was starting to do something. He was starting to cause us to live by faith, not by success in the corporate arena. And so we were trusting him more and more and more. He was opening up these doors. We were taken from a really large Pentecostal environment. I got saved in the Queen Street um, Assemblies of God and the Charismatic Renewal, and we were part of the foundation of the Auckland City Elam. We were part of the church planting team that was there. Um, very successful Pentecostal church. And all of a sudden in Australia, Chris and I were working with this Anglican church 200 metres up the road from our house. Crazy, why would you do this? Well, this Anglican church was more Pentecostal than these super-duper churches back in New Zealand. God was softening our heart, not just for the nations of the world, but for the church. And, and since that time, I've just loved the church corporate more and more. I don't look at the labels of the church anymore, the denominations. That means nothing. You're looking at the heart, what's actually happening in the church. Jump with me through to uh, Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. It says this, The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul that you may live. It's a pretty clear thing. Our hearts are going to get circumcised. I think I'd rather have my heart circumcised than any other part of my anatomy, by the way. The message says this, the Lord your God will cut away the thick calluses of your heart. The NLT says this, the Lord your God will change your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you will live. They're pretty clear promises that God's doing something within our hearts. Pastor James talked last week about our consciences getting seared over. Um, somehow the tissue of our heart um, gets seared and so the nerve endings and all that don't function the way they should, so we don't sense and feel things anymore. It says this in um, 1 uh, Timothy uh, verse 4, verse 2, um, talks about our conscience has been seared. If we're going to ignore what the Holy Spirit tells us to do, our consciences get seared, our hearts get seared, our, our skin gets calloused. But God wants softness. He wants tenderness. He wants empathy. And this is why we have all this stuff going on in our life. If we continue to ignore our consciences, we ignore God. And it's like our hearts get harder and he actually backs away from us. But if we've got our heart open to him, 
that's where it's going to get softer and, and more tender. Um, if I, I'd like to have time to give you war story after war story, but you'll see me crying, and I'm not even going to go down that track. Um, but the thing is, Matthew's gospel says this in uh, Matthew 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then, um, then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had so he could purchase the field. What actually happened in the days of old, if the enemy came into a city or a town... The people didn't have a bank safe to go and deposit their possessions. They'd go to the fields somewhere, indiscreet, and bury their wealth. It was hidden. Then, obviously, a number of years later, those people were dead. They could have been dead because of the invaders coming or because of old age or sickness. But people were ploughing the fields, and all of a sudden it was like, oh, what is that? And they would dig down and they would find... Um, all these uh, bits and pieces might be up on the slide here. Um, with the, all this coins or artifacts or gold cups or trinkets, um, England, they still do it. You know, so the discs are actually getting bigger and bigger on the, uh, the plows. And all of a sudden, even today, it's like, chunk, what is that? And they reach down and they find all this um, wealth that's buried there. Jesus talked about it um, in Matthew's Gospel. There is a wealth within each of our heart. He wants to extricate the value of your life and my life. That's why this disc is getting deeper and deeper. We don't want super shallow grounds, skin-deep Christianity. God wants to get to the heart of the matter. You know, each of us is special in God's sight. He's got an eye on you. He's probably got two eyes on you, actually. There's destiny, there's mandate on your life. Um, there's an old man called Trevor Sykes. He's dead now. He was in the Welsh Revival, and he was a prophet in our nation. And a few years before he died, he said, Phil, my mantle is now your mantle. It's not like, here's my mantle, let's share it, let's just do, do this together. It was like, no, Phil, here is my mantle. My mantle as a prophet is now yours. Um, that broke my heart because this man was, he'd gone through the minster of life. He was a really soft, compliant man um, that he heard from God. He was very powerful in the word. The thing is, the eyes of the Spirit are looking around the world. Not just Trevor Sykes looking for a mantle for a new generation, one Phil Richardson. He's looking for each of us. He's looking, he's looking, and looking. It says this in 1 Kings 19.19, and this is the story of Elijah and Elijah. You know, the land was full of people, lots of people, and this young buck was out there behind the oxen. There were actually 12 plows, you know, and he was at the tail end, he was like tail end Charlie, in the dust and all the, and all the um, poo and all that sort of stuff. He was walking through it, but then all of a sudden, Elijah turns up, and he just didn't say, come on, Elijah, what he did. Um, he went looking. He went looking. He went looking. He went looking. And he, there were lots of people that he could have picked, but then all of a sudden, you're coming with me, mate. <laughs> and all of a sudden, it was like, come on, we can do life together. He, he realized there's a call of God on someone's life. And, and what he did, he took his mantle off. He took his... He didn't take his trousers off. He just took his mantle off, by the way. 
And what he did, he said, my mantle is now yours. And so he was obviously with the plows and all his mates doing all the plowing sort of stuff. Then all of a sudden Elijah takes off. The mantle was left on a new generation. But this man didn't go back to plowing. He said, hey, God's doing something. He really is doing something. He didn't hang back. He, he started to get into Elijah's um, slipstream and he started to do life together. Thing is, God is looking to place his mantle, not just his Holy Spirit on you, but a mantle of purpose. And the eyes of the Spirit is looking. Elijah's heart was right. He was a prophet. There was, there was a skill that he had learnt that was on his life, but it could have been broad spread. And just as we finish this morning, um, Pete, if you can jump on the, up on the keys and do something sensitive there. I just sense what the Holy Spirit wants to do is a couple of things. The first thing is, I don't know why I had a real passion towards the cardiac side of the medical business, but when I'm praying for people, I see things happen. But somehow the gift of healing, especially when it comes to cardiac and asthmatic respiratory things, there seems to be more people get prayed for and healed for heart and lung than it is actually for all the other bits and pieces. So I just really want to trust God this morning that he will start to move afresh. And if you've got any cardiac or respiratory dysfunction, might be high blood pressure, low blood pressure, you might be on beta blockers, the doctors are giving you, well, our word of God says signs and wonders will follow the preaching of God's word. Doctors are pretty good, but the word of God is far better. So if you've got any respiratory function, you might have heart valve situations, your, your heart could be out of rhythm, out of beat, um, we're going to pray for you. We're going to trust that God moves in an incredibly special, unique, sovereign way. Better than going into Greenland Hospital for bypass or heart transplants. That's painful. You know, sitting on a hospital bed for 10 minutes is enough for me. But the other thing is, we know that people are going through harrowing, difficult situations. You know, it's been tough in your family. Words have been said. It's like you've been stabbed in the heart and also in your back. You've hemorrhaged. Financially, there's difficult things happening. You know, you're stretched beyond breaking. You can't understand how things are going to work out. You do the sums and it's still beyond your comprehension love to pray for you you know you're going through the mincer you're going through the blender God is still on the throne he saw what happened in Job's life Jacob when he was in prison Joseph all those guys all the legends they went through the school of hard knocks he sees your situations I know people have had marriage breakups Children have said things to their parents and parents have said things to their children. Intentionally or unintentionally, but it's happened and you're bruised. Love to pray for you. People have got situations in their job and their vocations where things have gone bad, septic, all the broken promises. There's carrots on the end of a string and those strings seems to get longer and the stick seems to get 
further away and the carrot seems to even get um, smaller and smaller. God's saying, trust me, not your work situations. We'd love to pray and stand alongside you for those situations. God is in the business of giving heavenly transplants. So let's just stand. I'm going to give